what's happened during 2021. Mm. We did have that string of um, let's call them events where we had GameStop and we had Archegos and we had Greensill and so on yeah. and so forth. Yeah. So part of part of the whole thing is that there will things there will be things that pop up like that that are fairly un, you know fairly unforeseeable um, and that's a lot of that's a lot of what regulation is about in practice but but actually it doesn't come into the planning round in all my time working for the regulators that was an ever-present you know clear and present danger all the time of wanting to do too much uh, and ending up delivering less than you might otherwise have managed. Gone through its internal machinations, still going through them with its transformation, which I think could last a very long time. The judge has finally handed down a sentence, which looks very much like an FCA fine in terms of the way it's constructed, comes in at 264, 265 million, something like that. Um, obviously that case is relevant because it's, it, it is, it's a, it was a, a criminal case. It was a criminal case that was driven by the FCA. Hi, and welcome to the December 2021 edition of the Risk and Regulation Unraveled podcast. My name is David Murray. I'm joined as ever by my colleague Gavin. Say hello, Gavin. Hi there. Um, and we will be taking our usual uh, ramble through the world of emerging regulation, the new stories, the, the new consultations, the new rules, um, as well as some of the insider look at the what the regulators are doing and how they're organising themselves. Um, it is also our last podcast of 2021, um, which um, we were going to mark uh, by taking a somewhat reflective view on how things have changed during 2021. Um, since I'm doing this podcast from my bedroom, um, I can, I, which is pretty much, I'm pretty certain is where I was doing the podcast 12 months ago. Um, I'm not entirely sure that much has changed in 2021. What, what, Gavin, do you think 2021 will be known for in the world of regulation? I'm trying to remember if you've moved house during 2021 or whether it was the end of 2020. No, no, it was. Uh, I moved house just after that kicking Christmas party at number 10 um, uh, early in 2022. Um, yeah. Fair enough. Um, so 2021, I, I think... Um, I think the regulators did their best to move away from everything being dominated by COVID. Um, so they tried to uh, talk about things like the consumer duty, which we're going to come on to later. Uh, the FCA's gone through its internal machinations, still going through them with its transformation, which I think could last a very long time, potentially. Uh, I think. ESG, we knew it would be big, but actually it's probably been bigger uh, than we expected. There's quite a big burden um, on regulation off the back of COP26, I think, um, probably more than we'd anticipated. And I think probably crypto is the other thing that has sort of exploded a bit onto the um, onto the canvas. Yes, well, you, no, you're absolutely right. Some of those things um, are very relevant for this month because there's been some developments this month that, that we, we will dig into. Uh, but I would agree with all of those. Yes, I think you're right. So whilst, you know, COVID may have dominated my life, um, uh, you, the it won't be from a regulatory perspective known as the year of, 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 of COVID. That was that was 2020, believe it or not, um, looking back. Um, uh, and a lot has changed. Um, the 
topics we are talking about now, you're right, I think are quite different to the ones we were talking about 12 months ago. The agenda moving forward is very different and there's some really, really significant things on it. Um, and I guess in, in, in some cases, crypto being a sort of borderline case, there maybe maybe some very important things that aren't particularly on the regulatory <laughs> agenda as well, but will be nevertheless be very topical. Um, so uh, do you think, Gavin, then I will be sitting in my bedroom 12 months from now um, <clears throat> drinking the same the same cup of garage bought Costa coffee from the machine um, is or can I can I look forward to something a bit more approaching normal life? You don't have to answer that. I think that's, <laughs> that's, that's a rhetorical question for all of us at this point. Um, OK, let's. Uh, Let's dig into some of the news in the last month. You're right, there is a lot to get into, actually. I think we were not complaining because obviously we, we like it when we can just sit around talking about nothing. Um, but but we have had a, a couple of quiet months. Um, and then, as is often the case in the run up to Christmas, uh, things go a bit bonkers. Um, so what was happening this last month? Well, going to relate to the FCA, but but um, obviously it was a court decision. The, uh, the, um, the court in the NatWest anti-money laundering case um which had uh well the, the the bank pled guilty um and the judge has finally handed down a sentence which looks very much like an fca fine in terms of the way it's constructed it comes in at 264 265 million something like that um obviously that case is relevant because it's it, it is it was it's a it was a, a criminal case it was a criminal case that was driven by the fca um and i suppose uh, what do we what do we take away from that? Is is the fine where we thought it would be? I mean, we've we've observed before that this this case. I mean, these, the the issues in the case date back to 2016, well earlier than 2016, I think. But I think they started it became a regulatory focus, became an investigation in 2016. So it's taken best part of six years to to get to this point. Um, can we expect more? criminal prosecutions by the FCA in this space or does, does the fact this one took six years potentially make, make that less likely? I, I mean I think the FCA would have to restructure its enforcement division and have a kind of dedicated unit to take forward this sort of case um, to produce a sort of steady stream of them. If you read, I mean we've talked about this before, um, how much time and resource these sorts of cases take up and if you read Nico Ratti's letter back to the TSC, which I think has just come out, uh, he details some of that, and it's really quite significant. Um, and also, I think, I mean, if you look at the details of the case, they're fairly lurid. There's a lot of there's a lot of cracking stories in there. Um, yeah, yeah, and well, what, what, very obvious kind of criminal prosecution, <clears throat> if you like, um, for the FCA to want to take. And it doesn't it doesn't shout out. It doesn't jump out at me that they're going to be suddenly start using this power much more often. I mean, it's been 2007. I think they received it. So this is the, the one and only time so far. Uh, and I, you know, I'd, it'd be interesting to see, let's say, when the next one is. I think actually what it does, um, what it does partially explain is why the enforcement pipeline has been so slow over that period because you're effectively taking out a significant chunk of experienced people um, to dedicate them to this yeah. one case. So everything else kind of is more likely to clog up as a result. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so, you know, what, that's the bit we don't hear so much about. But no, that's right. No. As you say, first use this power, maybe, yeah, it's probably soaked up more focus and potentially more resource than than um, might otherwise be in the case if it was, quotes, a regular enforcement case. Um, what else? What else? Uh, what else? News? What newsworthy this month? We had um, uh, the Archegos letter. Um, so Archegos, for those that uh, uh, haven't been following this story necessarily, but uh, a few months ago, Credit Suisse, uh, well, a, a, a number of prime brokers, but Credit Suisse in particular, took an absolute hammering when the family office Archegos, an unregulated investment manager, basically family office manager. Um, had some hugely uh, leveraged positions, um, which turned bad, and uh, that translated to a, to a default and a you know significant loss, particularly for Credit Suisse, as I say. Um, and the Bank of England, well, Bank of England and FCA jointly, I think, have they've written to they've written to prime brokerages, organisations providing equity finance, essentially to to um, uh, clients uh, at that level of scale, asking them to review their business models, essentially, isn't it? It's quite a wide-ranging ask they've been um, they've been tasked with. Yes, it is. Um, I think it's probably worth sort of doubling back a little bit. You asked, you know, what's, what's happened during 2021? Mm. We did have that string of, um, let's call them events, where we had GameStop and we had Archegos and we had Greensill and so on yeah. and so forth. Yeah. So part of part of the whole thing is that there will things there will be things that pop up like that that are fairly un, you know fairly unforeseeable um and that's a lot of that's a lot of what regulation is about in practice but but actually it doesn't come into the planning round so oh, absolutely yes yeah which we'll come yeah. back to but the Archegos thing is is interesting because actually <clears throat> There was a tendency, I think, to focus down on one or two of the firms involved. And obviously Credit Suisse had that independent report over the summer and have made fairly widespread changes off the back of it. The scope of what the PRA and FCA um, are asking all prime brokers to review is really both broad and deep. So that to me implies that actually in the work they've done since last March, when Archegos broke, they've uncovered probably more issues than they were, well, than certainly, you know, yeah. we were all expecting. Yeah. Um, and so they're actually after a pretty fundamental reset, it looks like. Well, I certainly, they certainly seem to be expecting, I mean, they've, they've, what they've asked for is you know, conduct these reviews, you find brokers, and then report back to to, to the regulators, I think it's end of Q1 next year, but with a, you know, with a with a full report plus remediation plans, and and you're right. I mean, the scope is very wide ranging. I mean, there's a lot of detail points in there as well. I mean, and it's asking asking things like, um, you know, review whether you've got appropriate margin requirements, you know, that are reflective of the risk that you have, uh, you know, appropriate limit frameworks for this kind of leverage, etc. Which is and you know appropriately um appropriately resourced and independent risk functions which is all, all stuff that you know, came out of as you say the credit swiss review uh report that was made public um which is all but it's all pretty pretty fundamental stuff isn't it it's like <laughs> it's like here we are in 2021 asking have you got a properly resourced you know risk function to look at this bit of the business um it's yeah it's not no 
it's not moving it's not it's not, it's not setting kind of new expectations around risk and regulatory practices is it? it's, it's basically trying to confirm things we probably thought were quite well understood so i think in the back it probably raises at least a few questions about what's happened in supervision over the last few years um i mean we know from the gloucester review that the fca got supervision wrong in the period after 2015 and has been trying to kind of um reprioritize it if you like yeah. uh but you know i mean the letter itself talks about these are these are you know these are issues that came up during the financial crisis and there's a little bit for me about well they are fairly fundamental and have has supervision been giving it the given been giving these issues the appropriate focus over the last few years because there's quite a lot of disparities that they talk about between different firms and one of the things supervision should be very good at is is kind of mapping those out and being able to do that comparative analysis because they're in a unique position to be able to do that and so i think there must be at least a few questions in at the back of of just whether supervision itself needs to refocus on some of the kind of basic risk management stuff you described it was difficult for me to look at that letter that that first ask of, of, of the prime brokers and think that that's the you know that's the end of the story it doesn't it doesn't feel like a you know, report back to us in three months time and then we'll move on and do something else. It, it feels much like this is a there's going to be follow up uh, work and um, quite a lot more supervisory activity in this in this space. Um, the first step, therefore, rather than uh, the opening up of a new line rather than the closing down. Um, is, it, is it time to talk about the consumer duty? Oh, go on then. Oh, I know you can't resist. Uh, so on the 7th of December, which is, uh, as someone was reminding me, uh, an amateur historian was reminding me, it was the same day the Pearl Harbor attacks took place and uh, President Roosevelt described it as a day that will live in infamy. Um, and, and keeping with that tradition, the consumer duty, the second consultation paper was released on the 7th of December. Um, right, so quick, quick, quick recap. Um, uh, there was an initial consultation um, in May, I think it was, which was light of a lot of detail and was more of a discussion paper, I think. The consultation that's just come out is a proper consultation, and we'll talk about some of the things like the cost-benefit analysis that's sitting in it. Um, it's got draft rules, 50 pages of draft rules, a much longer section on guidance because I think you know, maybe it's not surprising. This is, this is there's a lot, you know, there's principle here. You know, the actual there's not necessarily going to be translated to detailed rules. It's going to have to be interpreted quite heavily by businesses. Um, so the actual rule set is quite now small it's come to something that i consider 50 pages of new rules to be you know light <laughs> but, but the reality is um consultation closes in february they're talking about having a policy statement out by summer 2022 next summer next year and we're the, the proposal in the cp is that it'll be firms would have to fully implement the new rules by april 2023 which is i guess we can discuss whether that's a you know, a, a timetable that's going to survive the, um, you know, the, the realities of, of getting through this. Um, the CP itself, well, first, first of all, the, 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 they, of course, they published the list of um, firms that have given feedback on the previous consultation paper. Um, it's the longest list I think I've ever seen. Uh, it goes on for pages. So they obviously had lots of feedback, mixed feedback, I think, as well. But I guess the headline here is, 
they are absolutely making this front and centre, aren't they? Uh, just thinking of the rhetoric in uh, uh, both in speeches and 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 in the and in the consultation paper uh, itself. There, there's no there's no watering down here. They're going going. They're placing a lot of emphasis on this as being a sort of a you know a, a life changing maybe a, 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 a materially uh, positive thing that will will improve uh, financial services outcomes for retail customers. That must be said. We must say that up front. So this is this is aimed at retail customers. I mean, I think there must be a real risk of of setting expectations too high. Um, if you think about the history of you know all the trading customers barely all the tcf initiatives and and so on over the years and what they're saying is that this is going to work where all of those fell short uh it is, it is going so, to drive a fundamental shift in industry mindset and ensure a higher and more consistent standard of consumer protection so there we go yeah so they're, they're they're quite high bars really um so so i do worry about it um and as you know, and we've talked about this the first time around, um, I worry about how practical it is for supervisors to translate across and, and in their dealings with firms. I also worry a bit about how, I mean, I don't pretend to understand all the intricacies of, you know, we're replacing um, principles six and seven, but we're leaving them in the handbook and X, Y, and Z. Uh, but it feels pretty complicated to me, uh, and I don't know how readily enforceable it would be in practice. Well, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Um, and I, so I think, I think there's that. I think supervisors will need a lot of training on it, and some of which will be need to be sector specific. So I think that's a big investment of time uh, when they would be doing other things. So you'll have to pull them off the front line to do that. There'll need to be quite a lot of system stuff because this will clearly be a fundamental part of um, the FCA's evaluation of firms. Um, so that will all need to be overhauled. Uh, and I think the the measurement of it is, you know, is going to be critical down the line because they're going to have to be able to say, you know, we succeeded in this. This didn't quite happen. We think this hasn't happened yet, but but it's moving in the right direction. And I think everyone will want to have that sort of narrative. And it's not obvious to me that they've, I mean, they may, may well have done the thinking behind the scenes, but it's not in the CP. No, it's not. I mean, you know, apply, I think applying this at, at a single firm level. So if, if, if we're taking this from the, you're implementing it for, for a firm and, I, you know, any, any firm that deals with retail clients um, uh, is, is, is going to have to implement the consumer duty um in in full um and it's it's a significant amount of work i want to come on to the cost benefit analysis they put in the um put in the back of the cp it was obviously missing in the first one but they've they've gone uh they've produced one for this for this situation um uh yeah i i think i think it's going to be an incredibly firm specific business model specific product specific set of interpretations this is not a case of let's just you know, everyone implements the same dashboard everyone implements the same you know question question you know, product governance qa type. You know, it's going to have to be incredibly uh personalized so that's the wrong word when we're talking about businesses but <laughs> but uh, you know it's it, it, it customized that's probably a better word um and 
thus very challenging for firms to implement. Um, yeah, the supervisory challenge, therefore, to to sit above that and to try and judge what's being done across what will be, I think, a widely differentiated set of implementations. Um, I mean, it's, this must have the potential to, but both in terms of just the, the rule setting process and then getting supervision, you know, investing time to get supervision ready to actually supervise this. I mean, it's, it's got a potential, has it not, to sort of push a lot of other things off the off the agenda in terms of bandwidth? Yes, potentially. I mean, uh, uh, just just before we go on to, to that aspect of it, I think yeah. it's probably worth saying there's, uh, I think there's as much risk of firms overreacting to some of the consumer duty stuff as there is not doing enough. So there'll be a lot of noise around what it is. And actually, sometimes that distracts from, you know, what actually is it changing? And, you know, if you listen to Nick O'Rathy last week at the TSC saying, you know, for firms who are already doing the right thing, they've got nothing to worry about, which implies they're trying to lift the floor rather than the overall standard, if that makes sense. It, um, it, it does, yes. Yeah. But in terms of moving things off the rest of the agenda, I mean, I think the, you know, we talked last time about the regulatory initiatives grid where you had 24 new initiatives coming in. Um, and uh, 33 being delayed. Yeah. So even if the 24 didn't exist, you might assume that actually at least some of those 33 would still be delayed because the regulators had overestimated their capacity to deliver. And I think that, you know, that in all my time working for the regulators, that was an ever present, you know, clear and present danger all the time of wanting to do too much uh, and ending up delivering less than you might otherwise have managed. Yes. Um, so I think it's it's definitely there. Yeah, I mean, if if, um, if transfer FCA, if, if this, we're looking at this, this is an FCA initiative, of course. Um, yes. If, if transformation is the, is the internal sort of landmark um, uh, a project or, or exercise of the of the um, of the the Nicolati, um FCA, then it feels to me like at this point the consumer duty is going to be is is the is doing the equivalent externally. So it's you know, once an internal change initiative, then consumer duty is the landmark, um, the landmark bit of policy um, that 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 we potentially are going to look back on this period as as as, as being the FCA's cornerstone um initiative um and it's i i hear i hear i hear what's being said about um you know it's, it's a yeah, firm, firms that already uh, yeah it's quite quite likely firm, firms that are really complying really well would say the mifid or the idd you know product governance requirements may well not have a great deal to 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 fear from this but it, the, the sheer complexity and I said it's only 50 pages of rules, but we're talking about a consumer duty. We're talking about three rules and four um, outcomes yep. and very much product specific. So, you know, when you start implying that you, you'd need to make that evaluation uh, product specific and customer group specific, you'd have to you know make, apply those across the whole matrix of what you do as an organization. That's yeah, even if even if at the end result you conclude actually you you you're not in a bad position, I think there's got a lot of work involved for any firm to to get that degree of confidence. And I, and I actually think this is 
this this is a project that it off, sometimes the uh, you see projects where you know the the, the the gap analysis, the impact assessment phase is relatively focused, and then there's a long tail implementation phase. Um, and that still might be the case. I mean, there still might be a, a long tail implementation phase for some firms, but I think I think uh, the idea of doing a a short sharp impact analysis on the consumer duty is just not going to happen that's going to be a big piece of work in its own right for 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 any firm of any significance um and probably frankly given the timelines and i guess actually how cheaper that is but i think they probably want to be cracking on with that 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 impact uh, analysis sooner rather than later so after after us mentioning that there wasn't a cost benefit analysis in the first consultation paper there's an enormous one in this consultation although Enormous in terms of number of words, not so quite so enormous in terms of um, you know so hard data points, um, if I may say so. Um, I mean, there are estimates certainly on the cost side. I was looking at those earlier, so I mean they could do a low case, high case, but probably yeah, for a medium-sized firm, it's probably some they're, they're probably estimating something close to half a million for implementation costs, and then a much smaller ongoing ongoing cost does not include reduced profit. So to the extent they may make less money on some products as a result of the work of having reviewed them um, under the consumer duty, that's not factored into the, the cost as far as I can see. So this is sort of purely operational implementation costs. Well, um, I think, um, as you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a bit skeptical of the causation change, the causation chain that they have in the CBA. Um, I think they've they've said no additional cost for consumers because they don't think that unless the consumer journey becomes longer, I think it might well become longer. Yes. Um, and between the low and the high cost estimates, apparently the you know they've assumed that the training cost remains the same. Um, whereas I think there must be scope along the lines you've talked about for lots of very specific training yes. being needed. Uh, Anyway, I mean, you know, we'll come back to this time and again, and I know, you know, we're doing a lot of thinking in and around what yeah, it's going to mean. Um, yeah, but, no, this is, this yeah, is, this is but, another time to... Yeah, it will to, run for a while. ...all the gory detail. Uh, but I noticed the, the benefit numbers, they're, they're, I mean, it seems to be based on a, this is how much harm happens anyway, and if we can just shave a shave a decimal point or two off those, then, then it'll be worth it, um, which is... Uh, it's true, I suppose, um, but uh, we'll see. I know this 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 cost benefit analysis is is, is I mean, we've been promised. I think in the FCA business plan, more rigor around CBAs and more oversight of them. But I don't know this this CBA is is not is not, hasn't taken place under that sort of additional scrutiny. I don't think. Um, no, and the um, the future regulatory framework stuff we talked about last time. There'd be an independent. Um, CBA panel and a more, you know, more of a detailed published framework, um, but obviously we're not in that space yet. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the other thing when it comes to metrics, of course, is there's a there's a half a page in the CP that says it talks about how they might go about the FCA might go about managing how effective it is, you know, outcomes based, and um, you know, Charles Randall has given speeches in the past about the importance of or, and or the, and the difficulty sometimes of of measuring the outcomes, i.e. how much benefit does a does a does a new regulation actually have? But you know, there's some there's some rhetoric in the in the CP that they they they're going to to do that. Which we don't have a detailed framework about you know what numbers they're going to be looking at 
to justify that it's worked, but um, uh, I guess the expectation must be that they're going to come up with a framework that we can um, understand and, and look at. Um, so, you, but you're absolutely right that when the, cons the consumer duty is not podcast ready material because it's uh, it, it's so big. <laughs> but I know, I mean, not in the sense of pure scale of all, but but just just the way it will impact different businesses. It's it doesn't it doesn't lend itself to a short sharp messaging really um, beyond us saying it's big. Uh, I'm sure we, like, uh, like like every other advisor in this space, will be spending a lot of um, 2022 um, uh, trying to help firms navigate their way through it. Um, well, that's enough about the consumer duty. It won't be the last time we mention it, I know, uh, but it will be for today. Um, uh, the other thing that landed uh, uh, in terms of um, FCA rulemaking. Well, actually, no, this is this is this is um, you're moving ahead. So policy statement style is the change in FCA decision making. Yeah. So, so uh, those who've listened to us in the past will know the the FCA have suggested they would um, uh, reduce their um, the involvement of the, the the RDC, the Regulatory Decisions Committee, which has non-executives on it, in 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 some decision making. So basically, the RDC will stick to sort of the, the really thorny enforcement cases and many other things, you know, variations of permission, authorization requests, etc. Will, will just be handled by execs. Um, uh, and uh, as we observed at the time, um, almost everybody that responded to the original consultation disagreed. I think even the FCA court said the vast majority of respondents disagreed with the proposal. But they, they but it's happening anyway. So so the FCA. Um, I've, I've stated that's that's going to become uh, a new way of working forward. Um, I didn't know. I did finally figured out that that um, actually one of the changes it was making is it, besides saying that more decisions can be handled by the exec, it's actually just de de redefining what the exec means because I think historically the exec has meant three execs, and going forward it's going to be two execs. Yes. So I'm. So I was really interested first of all in the doubling down. Mm. Um, in the face of, um, I think they said, vast majority of the consultation responses. Almost certainly unanimous. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. I, I, interesting, I, I'm interested in that in terms of the consumer duty as well, where they've not been quite so clear, but of those 235 responses they've got, it'd be really interesting to know a bit more detail about what, yes. you know, how many thought X as opposed to Y and so on. But but on the on the RDC stuff as well, I think I just, I mean, we've talked about the kind of illegal um, jeopardy bit uh, before. I, I think I think just on a very practical level, I worry about how difficult it is for um, FCA executives who aren't necessarily trained lawyers and have lots of um, lots of other things on their plate, transformation, et cetera, et cetera to focus for even, let's say, a couple of hours on the details of a case in front of them and make, you know, with all the kind of advice and so on they're going to get, I just worry about having the headspace to do that properly and consistently of anyone, frankly. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not to do with no, the individual remotely. No. I'm just, I, I just really struggle with how that works on a day-to-day -day basis. 
that they will make faster decisions on various matters as a result of this. Will more of them get appealed to the upper tribunal? Will will will, will any, any, any time saving they gained by doing the making the original decision faster end up being lost because they're having to spend more time explaining what they did to the upper tribunal? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's um uh I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I, th I think I think to, to to be fair, most most of the um, feedback. See, at least the way the FCA articulates it was 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 broadly supportive of the objective of making decisions more quickly, uh, but unanimously disliking the idea that the execs would, should be uh, you know, the lack of independent oversight on, on those decisions. I I, I I don't know. I mean, I think this is an important. It is an important change. It's important for regulated firms to understand this change. Um, uh, it, time will tell as, as to how it plays out. Whether it's more accident prone. Um, I mean, the, even the, even the process that went through the RDC was was hardly you know perfect. There's been a few high-profile cases where decision making at that level has been criticised, uh, say by the courts on appeal. Um, but we shall we shall watch this space. Um, you mentioned FCA transformation. We mentioned it a couple of times. The director of transformation is is leaving. Uh, Megan yes. Butler uh, has obviously been at the FCA for quite a while. More um, latterly, is the director of transformation. She's leaving in the spring, um, which I think you were, you were saying is so. Basically, besides Mark Stewart in enforcement, every other executive is now new since Nikulvati took over, which is not an uncommon phenomena we know. Um, but yeah, Megan Butler is one of the sort of legacy people. Moves on. Do you do you draw any? Significance to that and surprise you in any way? Not, not, not really. I mean, I think um, you know, um, you know, Megan Butler was obviously, um, you know, talked about in the Gloucester review. Um, the Treasury Select Committee obviously asked questions of by the FCA keeping her on and giving her a new role. I think with Charles Randall moving on. Um, a new chairman would inevitably be asked the same questions. And I think, you know, it, it, it makes sense in many ways to make the change now. Mm. Um, I think the transformation will it'd be nice to know when it's due to finish. It feels to me like it was originally a sort of a one year thing and it now is sort of extending out. So Nick Rati talked about, um, I think, substantially increasing the 120 million pound data strategy in terms of its cost. Yes, that inevitably means time. Uh, so so I could imagine transformation just extending. Um, I think we've spoken before about, you know, you've got um, a significant restructuring, you've got the data stuff and you've got the staff terms and conditions consultation and all the yes. noise and low morale around that. Yep. Doing all three of those at the same time is quite high risk for a regulator because you can't switch off bits of a business in the way that you might be able to do in a commercial firm and because you're going to make up the profit in the future you kind of have to keep the lights on all over the place in a regulator because the smallest thing going wrong will cost you potentially cost you big time yeah yeah uh, so so it is it is quite a high risk venture they're, they're undertaking let's say Yes, well, I mean, and then there's this, you know, there's, there's news reports about, you know, sort of PR agencies being hired to communicate with staff. 
I, I think it's also really interesting in the context of the practitioner panel report that came out, which essentially said, you know, panel and F FCA were on the same page, which they haven't always been by any means, and saying, you know, the FCA is doing a pretty good job. So you've, on the face of it, you've got that narrative, and then you've got the competing narrative of, um, you know, we need serious culture change, we need serious investment, serious restructuring, all at the same time, really quite quickly, which sounds quite existential in terms of, you know, problems. But on the other hand, you've got the practitioner panel saying everything's about as good as it's ever been. Yes, they can't, yes, that's, that's they can't both be entirely right. Um, yeah, yeah. No, well, that's uh, yeah, that's recur recurring survey, isn't it? That that that. I suspect the truth in the middle, as ever. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, but it just, oh, yes. Well, I mean, if, you know, I mean, transformation is, is more than just a reaction to, to LCF, isn't it? Or be the timing. You know, it's clearly given it, <laughs> it's given it a, a, a major piece of impetus. Um, uh, it, it just shows something that you, you've talked about a lot, you know, the, uh, including today, the, the regulators can set the agenda and then something blows up and the agenda gets seriously sidetracked, uh, potentially. So, um, yeah, will will transformation be seen as a sort of painful, uh, a painful uh, tangent away from, you know, keeping the lights on and doing 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 the basic things well, um, uh, or will it be seen as a, as a real you know, material step forward for for regulatory capability in time? Uh, uh, we will have to wait and see. Um, I know it's the FCA in their fees consultation are, are planning to raise the fees, the minimum fee. Yeah, so to be to be regulated, yeah, I think it's what two thousand two hundred or something, isn't it now? If it's going to be so about a thousand higher than than it was, uh, which is probably in some respects overdue, isn't it? I mean, the, the sort of the minimum cost of cost of being regulated is is probably not zero, yes. um, uh, at least at least from the regulator's perspective. Um, I don't know whether that's going to provide the money to pay for transformation though. Well, I'd be interested to see what happens to the overall fees when they consult on that in the new year. Um, but, but I think it's a recognition of the fact that they're spending, I mean, the original minimum fee was introduced during the financial crisis to give some kind of guarantee that very small firms weren't having to pay for, um, you know, the very big banks getting into huge amounts of trouble. Um, so, so that's the origin. Um, I think now there's a sort of a recognition that the FCA's having to spend LCS, a classic example, more time, more resource, both people and technology on um, on the kind of the very large number of of really quite small firms that it has. But but a significant proportion of those are relatively complex. Uh, and there's been a sort of litany of of. Problems at that end, which might be a small percentage, but it's still quite a high number. Uh, and so there is an element of rebalancing in all this. I mean, it's it's quite broad. You try and be as as fair as you can be, but there's a, a you know there is a lack of precision about how you know how it's possible to um, to kind of uh, count the you know count the cost of regulation by sector and by firm and so on. Yeah. So this is not a steady state, exactly, is it? Um, yeah. I uh, so there's there's been a few smaller things which uh, I don't think we have time to get to today, but we we will address in our next podcast. 
Uh, I think we've addressed the big things. I wanted to end on a question though, which is um, uh, if if LCF was a big story, bl blew up finally. I mean, obviously, we've been a long running investigations, but it became a, something that suddenly seemed to be influencing the regulatory agenda quite heavily during 2021 uh, in a way that, that uh, you know, a year before we might not, not have predicted or seen coming. So I think it's time to wrap up now. Um, I'd like to thank everyone for listening in. Uh, for those that want to see more of our regulatory and risk content, check our podcast feed um, and uh, also our website uh, where we have um, hopefully quite a lot of information that will be of interest to people, including our regulatory handbook, which uh, spans the entire FS sector and will provide you with a complete overview of all regulatory developments. Um, Again, thank you for listening today. I would like to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Um, Gavin, I assume you would like to do the same? Very much so. Merry Christmas, everyone. Um, and we look forward to speaking to you all again in the new year.